2: Hello and welcome to Total Saints podcast episode 43. We are the dedicated weekly podcast going to the heart of all things Saints FC. This season 2018-19 we're proudly sponsored by the South Coast number one hot tub company Happy Hot Tubs where you can get 10% off hot tubs chemicals and accessories if you mention our podcast in the store. So despite the current goings-on on the pitch, it's not all bad news. Anyway, my name is Ben Stanfield, at ben Stanners on Twitter, and I host TSP. My compadres on here this season are Adam Leach, at Adam Leach Sport, the chief sports writer at the Southern Daily Echo, and Steve Grant, at Steve Grant 1983 St Mary's season ticket holder, and owner of SaintsWeb.co.uk. We've got quite a lot to get through tonight, chap, so I wasn't going to go into a massive long introduction, but how's your weeks both been, all right?
3: Yeah, not, not too bad, can't complain, um, slightly hungover after... Uh after yesterday but yeah it was uh one of those we just needed to drink through it and forget it all happened
2: yeah just just so everyone knows that's steve talking that's not the uh, journalist of uh, the Southern daily echo there so uh, <laughs> uh, good yeah and that's how was your week
1: yeah it was you've been fine, drinking you all the way through much. it yeah non-stop non-stop I'm, I'm drinking right now actually as we speak yeah i think everyone I'm is just swinging from a bottle of whiskey <laughs>
2: yeah well that's uh, yeah if you can't drown your sorrows, then what chance have you got a eh? but uh, as I say um, we've got quite a a bit that we want to try and get through this week so we'll uh, review the Leicester home game we're going to preview what's now an even more pressured fixture up at Crystal Palace next weekend and uh, briefly discuss this week a Carabao Cup game along the south coast at Brighton to no doubt lighten the mood a bit we'll also hear from former Saints senior strength and conditioning coach Nick Harvey I caught up with Nick earlier this week to talk about Nigel Adkins Ricky Lambert the advancement of technology and fitness and who he found the hardest to encourage into the gym when he was at Staplewood so uh, get the thinking caps on who could it have been anyway this is episode 43 of Total Saints podcast sponsored by happyhotubs.co.uk happyhotubs.co.uk
0: at happy hot Tubs we specialize in hot tubs it's all we've done for 35 years so if you're thinking about a hot tub and want to speak to someone then we're the place for honest clear and friendly advice plus right now we have 0% available on our hot tubs meaning you can spread the cost in easy payments you deserve happy. Come and get it at Happy Hot Tubs. Conditions apply. Visit happyhottubs.co.uk Happyhottubs.co.uk 0% excludes free throw range. In a typically
2: Saints performance, having taken the lead, Saints manage to concede an equaliser straight away, have a man sent off, and inevitably lose the game in the last minute 2-1 to Leicester. At least Saints already on the brink of the relegation zone, even after three games. Adam, yet another incredibly frustrating and disappointing result against uh, a Leicester side who, of course, had no Jamie Vardy and have no longer got Riyad Mahrez either. So no real excuses.
1: Well, it's a real afternoon of mixed emotions, I, I think, because there was so much to like about what Saints did, um, especially in the first half or for the first hour, and then so much to worry about. Really, the the fact of of what then transpired to prevent them getting a result. I sort, of, Like I said, I feel a little bit mixed emotion about it because I don't want to be too curmudgeonly by recognizing the fact that there were some uh, some positives, there were the signs of some steps forward. But obviously the one thing that we've spoken about extensively is the frailties that are there, the frailties that perhaps haven't been addressed, the fact that you've got players who are playing regularly who are so, to be blunt, used to losing all the time. Mm. That Those are the kind of things that happen if you don't get in enough fresh blood, and uh, and there's no other way to easily breed confidence. And, and now, when we bear in mind, I mean, it's, it's so early, it's not, not worth judging or getting too head up about. But, of course, what was it, the first three games of last season, they they had five points yeah. on the board, and this year it's one. And, and, again, last year, like this year, with the way the fixtures fell, we said, really, they could do with a fast start. Um, they They need to beat Crystal Palace, not to have had a fast start, but to have probably just kind of at least been in the realms of a past score I think now mm, Yeah, and Steve I was talking to
2: Freddie from the Ugly Inside this morning we were doing a bit ahead of the Brighton game and uh, I sort of said to him the Southampton way used to be the, uh, the the sort of pathway from the academy up to the first team these days it uh, the Southampton way seems to be blowing points I think that's 24 points since the start of 2017 18 season that Saints have thrown away from a winning position and when we don't score many goals you're sort of making it even tougher for yourself really
3: Yeah, definitely. The sheer number of late goals that we seem to concede, as well, Mm. um, is concerning. Given that, I mean, if you if you think back to 2005 when we went down, I think we dropped something like nine or ten points in injury time that season. Yeah, and that made that made a huge difference. I mean, as soon as we concede one, all of a sudden our minds just scramble completely, and we just lose the plot. We've only managed barely sort of a good half in each game. Mm. So, and I kind of come back to what I said last week in terms of what is you saying to, saying to the players in the dressing room before they go out there. I mean, got it right in the first half yesterday. I thought we thought we were excellent in the first half without creating that many clear chances. But second half got ourselves in front, but then just thought, well, that's all we need to do, and sat off. And I mean, that equaliser was just awful. Mm. Just so many things that you could pick apart from it. And same goes to the winner. I
2: was going to say, yeah, <laughs> it's
3: just. Just an absolute shambles at the back mm-hmm. um, and the one player that everyone thought oh yeah that's a signing that's, that's going to add a bit of steel to us Vestergaard was the one that kind of half-arsed dangles a leg at the um, at Maguire's shot
0: mm-hmm.
3: and is basically the reason why McCarthy doesn't dive for the ball The pace that Maguire hit it out, I think if McCarthy goes for it, I think he saves it.
2: But he's just assuming it's getting blocked. I know, it was a bit Sunday League all round, wasn't it? But uh, I mean, you you mentioned there, Adam, and yeah, I've got it down on my notes. Last season was deemed dreadful and uh, you know our worst ever but after three games we have five points on the board we were unbeaten this season played three lost two one point again we've not played any of the big boys yet so I know as Saints fans and and particularly on this podcast we try to be positive but you know even I'm a little bit nervous that as you said pre-season was pretty poor we've dragged that into the start of the season Saints are notoriously slow starters but they need to pull their fingers
1: out sooner rather than later. Well, there's no doubt about that. I mean, they, they can't carry on. When you look at, um, take a quick look at the lead table, and while the, the lead table means nothing uh, in terms of who's where, just have a quick look at you know, the Games 1 column and the points column. A, a lot of teams have kind of got themselves up and going now after three games. We even saw over the weekend a few of the teams that hadn't picked up a win in the first couple managed to get a win, and that obviously settles a lot down, which is obviously what Saints would be hoping for. Pre-Palace, I mean, I mentioned it last week. Uh, if you go into that first international break, which is now coming up after Palace, and you've got, I mean, I said two or three points. I mean, might even be worse if you're not careful yep. than that. Then that's not great. I mean, if they go into it with four points, to be blunt, that's not that great. But at the very least, from where they are now, you would certainly take it, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, they can't afford too slow a start. I mean, I think it's for for two reasons. One is... I think what a lot of people have fixated on, which is the fixture list and the fixture schedule being relatively kind in, in giving them an easier start, I suppose more or less as you could get in the Premier League, um, i.e. avoiding the top six. Uh, But I think also it's, it's a mental thing because there has been this feeling of, well, this is going to be different this year. This is going to be different under Hughes. Um, As I've said before, from my point of view, I, I hope that's the case, but you know, I struggle a little bit to really believe that, and that's no nothing to do with Mark Hughes per se that's to do with the the lack of change in the in the playing squad. I find it hard to believe that one person's going to make such a huge difference to a team that struggled so badly last season. Yeah. but I think from a mental point of view, the players kind of need to be able to believe themselves that this is something different this season, and this is not just going to be more of the same, more late heartbreak, more losing games they should win, more poor performances here, there and everywhere. Uh, And for that to happen, you kind of need that good start. You need to build that belief and build that momentum because it's not going to take very long, I don't think, for those players, especially as as we said, most of them are the same players. So they carry the the mental baggage Mm. of a poor season with them. It's not going to take long for them to think, this is just more of the same, even if it's a subconscious thing. And I think that is worrying, because once you're in that sort of mindset, as we saw last year, it is hard to get
2: out of. Yeah. I mean, did you take any real positives from the game? I, I, you know, Steve mentioned there they seemed all right for 50 minutes. I know lots of people are quite satisfied again with Nathan Redman, for example. But, I mean, are we, are we scratching around for positives, or was there quite a few in your view?
1: No, I don't think we're scratching around. and That's why I said at the start it's mixed emotions. Yeah. And I, don't, I don't want to appear too overly negative or overly harsh because i mean i didn't totally agree with mark hughes that he said that he felt that saints certainly deserved to win the game but i certainly felt they didn't deserve to lose it uh, really but mm. you get probably what you do deserve in the end is the truth in football most of the time isn't it unless you've been robbed by some outrageous decision or like the watford game we remember last year and that, yep. but that obviously wasn't the case this time around against Leicester. So there were plenty of positives though. I really I, I thought he did pick um though I was a bit surprised when I saw the team sheet, he did pick, you know, a positive team. Yeah. He obviously tried to set them out in a positive mindset. He'd spoken before the game about wanting to start on the front foot after, you know, starting very poorly against Burnley and Everton and then coming good later in the game. This time obviously we had the sort of mirror image where they started very well and then got worse as the game progressed effectively mm. but i thought there were quite a lot of positives and and yeah like you said redmond was a was a real positive as well in there i thought there were quite a few decent performances but the problem is that they really need to turn those into results there's only so long that you kind of keep saying oh it's okay it's coming it's still early in the season it's all right it's coming at some point it, it needs to arrive um, and i kind of think that they Feels like they've pretty much approached that point already, which is a pretty early stage to be feeling the pressure to have to feel like they've got to get a win. Yeah, to be fair, it feels like we've been
2: saying that for eight, two months, but uh, there we go. I mean, as (laughs) as you mentioned, uh, he made four changes to the team. Uh, Shane Long was in uh, maybe the the most surprising of the starters, I think. You know, there wasn't sort of much conjecture, Adam, just before I move on to Steve. Gabby Adini and Yoshida and Bednarek, were they left out for just that they didn't make the squad, or was I think there was some contention about whether they were doing fitness tests? Do you know any more to that, just in, in case people were wondering?
1: Well, I don't think it was fitness tests. I mean, I think people perhaps have, I mean, I might be wrong, but a bit of naivety perhaps. They were out, for those who were in the stadium very early, like obviously I'm in a long time before the turnstiles open and things, they were out, the three of them were out on the side of the pitch. They came out at about half past one and were doing some fitness work. I've never known a single player who's had a fitness test at one thirty before a three o'clock game, so mm. that was not a fitness test. yeah, uh, the team sheets pretty much had been exchanged and handed over by the time they came out to do their fitness work. So I assume it was a case of they weren't in the squad, and therefore, as they were at the ground as part of the wider squad, if that mm. makes sense, they were sent out to get some fitness work and sharpness due to the fact that presumably they will all start uh, against Brighton on Tuesday night, so I don't think there was any injury but I was surprised that Gabbiadini wasn't uh, amongst the subs. I mean, I've said it privately for a few weeks. I just, I just get the impression that that Hughes just doesn't really fancy him much as a player, mm. and it probably says a lot when you look at the bench yesterday and you had uh, one striker on the bench in mm. Austin. Gabbiadini didn't even make the bench, and yet you had Romeo, Steve Davis, Stuart Armstrong, James Wall, Prowse. So you kind of had four central midfielders, but only one striker. Mm. Unless, like I said, unless I'm missing something, which I may be, I may be, I can't say for certain because I I didn't ask Mark Hughes about it myself. It does seem a little bit strange not to have taken a second striker on there, Gabbiadini or Gallagher. But I kind of assume that maybe they might both play against Brighton now and, and perhaps that's part of his logic behind it. Fair enough. And Steve, what did you make of the
2: uh, sort of starting lineup? lineup as, as, as we mentioned in last week's podcast, having spent the whole pre-season on five at the back, he seems to have pretty much given up on that now and uh, started again with four at the back. But what did you make of it? Surprised?
3: Um, yeah, I mean, certainly the, the changes that he made were surprising. I don't think I necessarily disagree with them the big surprise was long Mm. in for Austin rather than Gabbiadini as you say not having a striker of Gabbiadini's quality even on the bench as Adam just said it just seems mental when, when you've got like four central midfielders But we seem to just be scratching around and occasionally just picking the team out of a tombola.
2: Um,
3: Or at least that's what it feels like. But just frustrating that Hoiberg comes in and actually actually had quite a good game, I thought, up until he then just does something monumentally stupid. And we just have this insatiable habit of shooting ourselves in the foot constantly
2: Mm, yeah again I was mentioning to Freddie this morning I think if that was any other team we would have been scathing about uh, you know ridiculous dive like that it was pretty embarrassing Steve wasn't it
3: well yeah particularly given that obviously I was was down the other end so you don't get the best view from that distance but it looked as if he had at least two opportunities just to just to swing his left foot at it and have Mm. a shot but rather than sort of trust his own ability he wanted to go down, get the penalty, and give the responsibility to somebody else. Mm. And I think that is a fundamental problem of why we've been in the situation we've been in for the last 18 months, yeah. that nobody is willing to accept responsibility. Nobody is putting their hand up and saying, right, I'm going to grab this game by the balls. Mm. And I mean, it's, it's come to something when a player who I think a lot of people would say seems to be quite mentally weak in Nathan Redmond has been the one player who has been dragging us through games at the moment.
2: Yeah, we've spoken again and people listening probably think it sounds like the same podcast every every other week but for me it's always been about that leadership it's about people sort of yeah as you say grabbing not only their teammates but the game by the scruff of the neck and saying yeah I'm going to be the one I'm going to drive us forward I'm going to make that tackle that header etc cetera, etc cetera. I mean for me we are still lacking that despite the work that we did in the summer transfer window uh,
3: yeah definitely I mean I think we look as if we've got slightly more about us than for the vast majority of last season but I mean that's coming from a very low bar <laughs> so it's difficult to paint that as any sort of compliment really yeah but it's it's difficult i mean from a psychological perspective how do you just suddenly turn around these players sort of mentalities where they've been so used to being on the back foot and losing games and conceding sloppy goals when they've got a goalkeeper whose hands seem to be made of polo mints um behind them yeah and how do you change the mentality from, from that situation to one where they're now on the front foot and being able to be positive about their game, not worrying about making mistakes, because at the end of the day, we all make mistakes. Yeah. But the quality that we have in the squad theoretically should be comfortably good enough to hold its own in this league. Yeah. And yet what we're actually seeing, whether it's a mental thing, whether it's a tactical thing, whether it's a man management thing, who knows? I mean, probably a, probably a little bit of a combination of all of them. But whatever the actual underlying issue is, at the moment, Mark Hughes doesn't appear to have the answers. Yeah, That is worrying. That yeah. is very
2: worrying just finally on the um, Leicester game that adds, um, earlier this week football analytics firm Statsbomb had indicated that Saints had the least active amount of pressure events against Everton with 103 which sadly beat uh, their own record of 106 against Burnley so that's essentially where players are pressuring the opposition when they're on the ball yet again there was a lot of mention, Steve already has mentioned it about just maybe 45 minutes of intensity against Leicester that then sort of fizzled out in the second half at Everton it was kind of nothing in the first half and we sort of put a bit more effort in the second half you've mentioned about the pre-season and Saints feeling a bit after China that they needed to try and catch up so my question to you Adam is do you think the Saints team are fit enough and if not do you think it's the case of for some reason Mark Hughes has decided that they're not going to play this pressing game because the stats seem to indicate that they are the worst team in the league at
1: pressing I don't like to make judgments about fitness particularly because I think it's very very hard to actually know what that is without uh, knowing more about the stats behind it there are there are a lot of stats i mean i know just for as you know i do triathlon I, I record everything that i do i've got power numbers on the bike i've got numbers when i'm running i've got numbers when i'm swimming so i can kind of gauge condition i'm in and i think just to look at a race or two or a training session or two and really know uh, is very difficult so I, I wouldn't really want to comment on that what i would say is what i did mention about china is that i felt Um, and from what i heard as well i don't think i'm talking out of school here to say i heard from quite a number of people that i don't think china helped them at all i think that was a hindrance to their preseason. um i don't think that that trip went brilliantly well either but as we've discussed before they've got a chinese owner he wants them over there they go over there it's as simple as that it's he owns it basically so they do whatever he tells him and decisions that are made in a lot of premier league clubs and not necessarily made solely with the best interests of football uh in mind and as for the pressing game well, my guess would be that that, that perhaps is well I don't know. You would assume, therefore, it's a deliberate tactic to, to try and do it. It's not, I don't think necessarily saying they're not pressing the ball and looking at that stat is something that you should hammer them with or, or is something to be damning with because there are different ways of playing football. So you shouldn't judge them just on you know, a short period of time. You need, you need longer to really judge them and the results ultimately will, will bear fruit as to whether the way they're playing is the correct way or not. Excellent, I was just keen to get your uh, your view on that but
2: uh, as I uh, mentioned earlier this week I caught up with uh, former Saints senior strength and conditioning coach Nick Harvey Nick, a Saints fan, worked with the likes of Nigel Adkins and Maurizio Pochettino players like Ricky Lambert and Jay Rodriguez and enjoyed the trip from League One to the Premier League like most of us did but first hand. I was keen to find out more about Nick's thoughts and also get a listener's fitness related question answered here's what Nick had to say Nick, welcome to Total Saints Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Cheers, Ben. Pleasure to be on. For those that don't necessarily know who you are, I wondered if you could give us a brief potted career history, Nick.
4: Yeah, no problem at all. Fitness coach, uh, mainly, most of my career has been in football, and mainly at Saints. Yep. Started at Saints way back when now, so I'm getting a little bit long in the tooth. Um, around the year 2000. Yep. Um, so, yeah, graduated from university, in a sports science degree, and it was kind of at a time when... Sports science, um, physical conditioning, football, was, fitness coaches were just coming in the last or previous three or four years before that. Yeah. So I started with academy and really fortunate at a time when you know, there was a lot of really good young talent uh, coming through, so the lights of the Walcotts and the, and the Bales um, and the Lalanas of this world. So very fortunate you know, to work with some really good young players and some good coaches as well. Um, So as a young sort of practitioner just coming into the Games. it was a a great learning environment. And um, yes, I went from there. So I had probably four or five years with Saints Academy, and again, that's around a youth cup final, youth cup semi-finals. We won the Premier Academy. League. You know, very blessed to be to be involved at that kind of time. And then, sort of, it was around the time when Clyde Woodward came into the club. Yeah, yeah. Around 2005. That fitness coach who's, who's there at the time Andy Spink so he's working with the with the first team so he was kind of the first fitness coach that Saints had so I think he started when it would have been Hoddle's manager mm-hmm. yep. so yeah Andy decided to uh, have a career change so he went to be a teacher and the club sort of promoted me from the academy to, to the first team 2006-07 season uh, so George Burley was my first manager Right. Uh, first of many as it turned out <laughs> <laughs> So I had um, seven, seven or eight seasons at, at Saints for the first team. Which, as a Saints fan, yeah, you know, I grew up a Southampton fan, so it was it was a fantastic experience. Lots of ups and downs, obviously at that time with kind of administration mm-hmm. and, and all the rest of it, and minus ten. And but lots of great times as well, and just fantastic experiences really, and, and lots of um, learned off a lot of good coaches, managers, and, and got to work with some some really uh, really good players. Left Saints uh, two thousand and thirteen. To go to Reading um, and work with Nigel, yeah. Nigel again yeah. um, as head of sports science at Reading. Had about two and a half years there and kind of changing manager, brought about the end of that mm. in 2016. And then since then, kind of had a little bit of step back from full-time club football. Done a lot of work with the England development teams. Yeah. Starting with initially with the, the 21s, with the two-long tournament. When, when Southgate was manager, yeah. uh, Steve Ollum was, was the coach. So I kind of went straight from Reading into that, which was, again, just good fortune and timing on, on my part. Um, and, and from
2: a Saints point of view, that would have meant carrying on working with the likes of Prowsey and Matt Target and people like that? I imagine yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah, again, which is great because big sort of um, Southampton connection. So Matt Crocco was Academy Manager at Saints. He's Director of Coaching uh, up at the FA, so he was heavily involved. And there's a few other staff kind of who work with at Saints as well that are involved up there my first under twenty ones camp, uh Prowse, was on it, uh, Matty Target, Jack Stevens. So it was great to, to catch up with those guys again. Uh, and again, just you know, really fortunate to, to be involved at a time when a lot of good young players winning tournaments. So I went to the under nineteen Euro finals which we won um in two thousand and seventeen. Yep. So yeah, just just uh so I've been doing that, uh which is a part time role. i alongside that doing some coach education. So just uh, kind of uh, tutoring on the uh, coaching badges or on the fitness fitness side of things. So. Yeah. And again, come across some, some ex-Saints on that as well, or some, some current Saints actually, people like Kelvin, uh, Super Kelvin, doing his A-license and stuff. He gave me a bit of stick when, uh, when I did some tutoring on that one. I can, like, imagine, can imagine, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, <laughs> 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 Alongside that, I kind of do some lecturing at Chichester Uni and um, got my own private training company, so I do some, still do some off-season work with some lads who, who are at Saints and... As well, with a variety of, sort of
2: sportsmen, really. Yeah, no, excellent, no, good stuff. And you mentioned the ups and downs there um, throughout the last sort of decade and, and a bit longer. I mean, one yeah. of the ups, obviously, was very much when Nigel was in charge, and as you well yeah. know, Nicky's a hero among Saints fans still. And uh, you, you yeah. obviously followed him to Reading, as you mentioned. So, so that sort of crest of a wave period between, um, you know, when he came in and going up through the Championship and the, you know, into the Premier yeah. League with the likes of Ricky and uh, Adam and all those sort of things. I mean, as yeah. you say, it must have been a, an amazing time working in and around the club because. it It was just success after success.
4: No, it was uh, looking back, you know, really good memories of that time. It started really before that, you know, JPT final at Wembley, fifty odd thousand Saints fans, you know, I'll never forget that day. Knew then that we're on the verge of something here. Mm. um, that you know, the Lieber family taken over and whatnot. Uh, yeah, and then when Nigel came in, developed a really good relationship with him and Dean Wilkins and of course the uh, we had a real tight knit kind of coaching staff. Yeah. And support team, and, and just a really good group of lads. Yeah. Who not only you know, particularly when we we're in league, we you know, had some players for that level, were top notch. Mm. Um. You know, like Ricky and Jose, and uh, you know the list goes on, really. Yeah. But um, I worked hard to get a real good team spirit amongst the lads, and the you know the lads socialised together, and it was a real close knit group. Mm. Um. From that point of view, yeah, just really good memories of you know winning lots of games. Yeah. Sort of days that stick in the mind. Uh, Plymouth the way. Clinton promotion yeah. uh, and the bus journey back
2: <laughs>
4: and um, to go straight up through the championship where probably would have expected maybe a, a season of consolidation. But like I say, we were, again, we we're blessed with a lot of talent in that team yeah. with the likes of Lalana coming into uh, real good form. And, you know, Ricky was exceptional. You know, you can't underestimate how important he was to the way we played and whatnot. Um, yeah, it was good times, good times.
2: Just not to dwell on it, phrases, but I think you know Ricky's a prime example, isn't he? I I remember seeing his debut at St Mary's against Northampton when we won 2 0 and he, uh, a bit like Michael Antonio when he arrived, he looked a bit, uh, bit on the portly side. But you know, by the time he hit the Premier League, I mean, he was never, never blessed with pace. Ricky was he? But I mean, you know, his physique over that time, you could tell he'd worked really hard with guys like you, Nick, to get himself ready for the Premier League, even at his age.
4: No, absolutely he was a great lad to work with and it was almost like although I'm not sure what age he was when he came in he you know he wasn't a young lad no. um he was very young in terms of his training age what I call his training age so he, he hadn't really been exposed to people saying like this will help you you know to get stronger if you yeah. Yeah. so he was it was almost like a blank canvas and with with the talent he had a really good opportunity to um help him just go to the next level of size and he really bought into that um he bought into nutrition side of things you know getting his body fat down a little bit and uh just extra extra conditioning work and, and with Ricky he's someone who's never going to be you know with his body shape, he's never going to be someone who's going to do loads and loads of running and, and but we used a lot of kind of positional drills where we'd, we'd actually um you know use the ball get him, uh, get him finishing yep. um getting doing the kind of movements we needed him to do in the game to get him running that way and that was what he really responded well to rather mm. than you know kind of maybe some of the more traditional methods. Yeah, a joy to have him. A great, great lad as well. Fantastic to see him play for England and score a goal on his England debut it was fantastic to see. Moving on to
2: your area of expertise and the strength and conditioning of elite sportsmen and, uh, and women. So I, I guess the other thing I was thinking about between you starting your career and now, we, we've obviously had the advancement of technology and data and analytics and all those sort of things. Yeah. So h- how have you had to adapt personally as a coach to make the most of the technology available to you?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's again a, a time where massive change, probably the biggest change in terms of how we monitor players has come through the usage of GPS and player tracking. So when I kind of started, uh, as I mentioned, early 2000, we kind of monitored through heart rate and that was the only thing. So we'd look at how players were responding to the training, but we never really had a handle on exactly what they were doing in training. So how much distance they were covering, at what speeds, uh, how many high accelerations and decelerations they were doing. So all these things that that, that contribute to, you know, how much fatigue is in the system uh, and how hard you can push players. All of a sudden we were getting all this information. So I suppose the biggest challenge was, probably trying to manage that effectively oh, uh, for example like in modern gps unit a player wears in any training session would throw up literally hundreds of thousands of data points in any given session but kind of the art of it i suppose is trying to filter out what is actually useful and what's not yeah. and then deliver it in a way which coaches can understand and can then apply to their sessions for me i suppose in a, in a nutshell i'm a big believer people kind of can overcomplicate a little bit so we've tried to take what I call a performance backwards approach. So we'd say, right, how do we want our team to play? So I'll give you an example. When, when Nigel was at the club, you know, we wanted to play out from the back. We wanted to be, you know, high energy, We wanted to press high yep. passing teams. So we needed a lot of movement and energy in and out of possession of the ball. We needed to train for that. But rather than kind of do loads of running and stuff like that, we kind of thought, OK, this is how we, we need to play. So let's put sessions on that, deliver what we want tactically technically and physically so we kind of look at what the hardest parts of the game were and this is where you can use technology you can kind of see exactly what players need to do physically you know how many sprints and and how many accelerations decelerations Um, and then put on sessions that are going to overload that a little bit because you want to always try and prepare the players for the hardest parts of the game not the average parts of the game but the kind of worst case scenario so that In an ideal world, they can walk over that white line on a Saturday and not really have to worry about, you know, not being able to cope physically. You know, they can just concentrate on playing a game and delivering what the manager needs them to deliver.
2: that makes absolute sense and you kind of alluded to it earlier i mean again with the the advancement of technology and and things like that it's not just about people physically exercising now you you know you think of harry kane and his personal chef and things like that is is you know there's much more to it diet and what you're drinking and the lucas type you know drinks and all those sort of things so there's a real a lot to it that these professional sports stars have to think about to really be at that elite level
4: yeah no definitely if i look back to the start of my career to now you know the body shape has changed your average player, so I'd certainly leaner, so carrying less body fat. And I'd probably put that more down to nutrition than anything else. So our players are just uh, probably more aware of how they need to fuel their training, and uh, you know the rewards are so high for them now. Like, I think they see that anything that can give them an edge, performance-wise, or you know, hopefully help them to be less likely to be injured, It's got to be a wise, <laughs> a wise move for them, a wise investment. But certainly, lots of changes. You know, in terms of nutrition, probably when I started, it was very kind of carbohydrate focus so lots of pastas, rices, potatoes yep. you know, for energy which is important but it's become more now, players are getting more protein in, um, probably less refined carbs so you know, I don't know if this is too technical but more kind of natural uh, sources of energy like fruits and vegetables yep. Yep. so it's a little bit more of a, I'd say, a much more balanced diet for the athletes you see now compared to 15-20 years ago.
2: A listener of ours, Graham, had sent me a question on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, and I I promised I'd uh, look into it for him. So um, I'm going to quote it. It's quite a long question. So basically, Graham said, I watched a lot of the World Cup and saw a lot of players suffer cramp and mention fatigue, which I think is a poor excuse. I am a keen athletics and cycling fan. In the Tour de France, cyclists cover hours of road day after day with explosive hill or sprint finishes and yet seem to suffer less than footballers. I looked into the stats and football players run an average between 7 to 10 kilometres over the course of 90 minutes. And when I look at local 10 kilometre races, I see that veteran runners over the age of 50 or 60 are competing a 10 kilometre race in less than 90 minutes without significant effect. And many of these will continue to race other local races the following day without significant detrimental effect. My Mm. question is, why is this? Has football fallen behind the curve a bit with respect to conditioning training we use compared to athletics or cycling? so i don't know if that's a fair question or not nick
4: right okay that's uh it's a big question it is a big question yeah break uh, it down what was the guy's name again <laughs> so
2: it's Gra- graham is his uh, graham is
4: his name graham. yeah. Sorry. graham's he's done his homework there about the you know, distances covered and whatnot um it's a tricky one i mean i think as a starting point i kind of say that you can't really compare fitness across very different sports you know you can have some comparisons with other team sports and things but yep the physical demands for a cyclist are completely different to the physical demands for a footballer. Even though you could say, well, footballers run and, you know, it's a 90-minute game, so it's endurance. The reality is very different. So although they cover the 10K uh, in 90 minutes,
2: mm.
4: it's the way they cover that ground that's the important factor. So football will really be classes of repeated sprint sport. So the key things are that players are doing a lot of very, very high-intensity actions yeah. with very high muscular demands um and the biggest probably contributor to fatigue in football is often like those real high level accelerations and deceleration so i suppose the analogy would be if, if you put chris broom out there for saints on saturday
2: yeah
4: and said go and play 90 minutes he he wouldn't be able to he wouldn't cope yeah because his body is not conditioned and similarly if you put james war prouse on a bike and said the leg of the tour de france actually prouse is a bad example he'd probably win it. <laughs> Um, It's a very specific kind of fitness. And the point about runners, a 50 or 60 year old doing a 10K in 70 minutes um, and then doing another one the following day, it's down to the type of locomotion. So in football, Lots of high-intensity work. The boys need to, to be really, really strong to cope with those loads. Yeah. They're running at serious speeds, these guys, and they're blowing down in an instant. So all that force going through the body as they change direction, and then they're doing that repeatedly time and time again. Um, over 90 minutes, so there's physical contact to factor into it. So it's very different to sitting on a bike or going for a run and just having that continuous kind of motion.
2: Mm. In terms
4: of the kind of cramp situation, Again, the types of activities in football will probably more lend themselves to causing cramps. So again, those real high-level muscular contractions, you're going to more likely to get cramp in that kind of scenario than in a classic endurance sport where you're just going along at a sub-maximal level. That's one thing. The other thing is you tend to see a lot of cramp in extra time. As I said, most conditioning for football, you know, you're conditioning the guys to, to work for 95 minutes max. Mm. Well, you know, you often see cramp when they're going into the second half of extra time in a World Cup, for example. And that is just purely because they're conditioned for, for a 90 minute game. So yeah. obviously you want to condition them to work the extra time as well, but it's very difficult when they've got a lot of accumulation of games over that period of time. So it's inevitable that there's going to be a fitness and a fatigue issue at times. Um, also you'll see players maybe they come back from injury so they might be a little bit behind the curve fitness wise and, and then they'll get a cramp because of that so mm. it can be a fitness fatigue issue but also it can be an intrinsic issue I'll give you a Saints example um, when Lalana broke into the Saints team as a youngster he would get problems I'm sure people can remember cramping Yep. So one of the things we did with him, we, we sweat tested him and he, uh, his sweat was very salty so he sweated out a lot of electrolytes. So he would have a special supplement for his drinks and that sorted his problem out. There's other lads, it could be something simple like really tight tie-ups and socks. Yeah, yeah. Blood flow. So yeah. there's all sorts of different things that can come into it. Yeah, kind of yeah. taking an individual approach. Time. Yeah, I don't know if that
2: answers the question. Yeah, no, I think that, I think that does, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure Graham will let us know, and we can can pass on it. But I think that's a, a great answer, and it makes perfect sense to me as uh, someone that wouldn't have known the answer before that question. So, uh, look, a, a, a couple more just before we let you uh, let you go. But uh, yeah, no I, I know briefly when we spoke the uh, the other day, just ahead of tonight, um, we were talking about Danny Ings having joined Saints, and I mentioned about Jay Rodriguez, who obviously went through a really serious injury after you'd moved on from Saints. But I know we were briefly yeah. talking, and I was really keen to ask this question as as a coach. there's obviously a lot of pressure on you as an individual to keep positive and motivate these guys because it is their career and you know when you think of Danny and Jay being right at the bottom having to spend you know 12 18 months building themselves up again how much pressure is there on you to be able to come to work every day and be positive and sort of say to them come on you're going to do this you're going to get back to the top because I imagine it can be really quite stressful and hard on you as well.
4: Yeah, you know, certainly when things like that happen, it's probably the, the toughest thing to deal with it is when players get bad injuries because you, you kind of see up close how much it does affect them. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Jay rod there, you know, I hope you won't mind me sharing this, but when he got injured before the World Cup, uh, you know, when he had a good chance, I think, of going to he the did. World Cup. So he instances did. like that, knowing Jay, what a great guy, mm. you know, top man, fantastic trainer, gave it his all every day. And you know, for something like that to happen, you just see how how hard it is for those players, and but I guess the support staff' job uh, as well as all the technical stuff we do is making sure we have empathy for the players and and trying to just be there to support them through that process mm. um and I think also like staying positive when you lose games really important yeah. because you know in my experience, players really hurt when when they lose games, you know you always get the odd one that Probably doesn't care too much, but yeah. as, as a general rule, you know, they hurt. And I think, as a support staff, and one thing was, you know, early in my career, I probably didn't do it enough was, you know, you take it hard yourself when you had a defeat and your head would be down the following day. And, and that's not what players need, they, they need the support staff to be upbeat, to mm. so focus on the processes, you know, and believe in what you're doing. Uh, and make sure that as long as we keep working hard, keep doing the right things every day, you know, have faith that the results will come right. And I think a lot of managers. That I work with particularly, you know, Nigel was excellent at that and yeah. uh, Mauricio Pochino as well. Um, we're really good at just building empathy with the players and, and having having those good relationships, which which are crucial.
2: Brilliant. All right. And then uh, I thought it's been quite a um, serious conversation, which is great. And I know lots of people appreciate listening. But on a bit of a lighter note then, come on, in your time involved with the senior squad at Saints, you know, who was first <laughs> in the gym and who was the last one in the gym always moaning?
4: Oh, wow put me right on the spot um, <laughs> I'm sure none of them are listening so don't worry I'll give, I'll give you know, a couple of good ones first right. while I try and think of because uh, most uh, and, and I know it's a boring answer but <laughs> most players in, in my experience generally speaking you know they're good they, yeah. they work hard but um as a young player Prowsey was different class and yeah. working in, in the in England setup as well just uh, you know model pro mm. um first in the gym last out of the gym last off the training ground Uh, Another one that springs to mind, actually, from sort of that area we're talking about with with Nigel was uh, Dean Hammond.
2: Right, yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. we had him on the pod last year. Yeah, good lad. Yeah,
4: top fella, Uh, great guy to work with. Um, He was one, actually, who. My biggest issue with it was Dino was always trying to get him off the training ground. <laughs> Usually, you're trying to maybe push players a little bit more and stuff. But with Dino, he just wanted to do yeah. so much that sometimes, yeah, he picked up a few little niggles um, because he just he just wanted to to work, 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 work. And sometimes it's like, come on. You need to rest as well.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because I remember I asked him when we, uh, we had him on the pod last year what he felt about it. And just I know we're going off on a tangent, but he said to us that he felt because Saints have progressed so quickly and the talent around him, if I remember correctly, he said that he felt he had to do a lot more training to try and keep himself at the level of the players that were around him.
4: Yeah, I think to Dean Wilkins who worked with him when he was a kid at Brighton, when mm. he was you know, coming through the academy there. Dean was his a kind of academy coach. And, uh, you know, I think it's been with him from, from a young age. And, and like you say, that probably, you know, he recognised that, well, I've got an opportunity to play in the Premier League. That, you know, I need to do everything in my power. Yep. So he, he's one that sort of sticks out as someone who, you know, sometimes you have to say, come on, D, you need to go out, you need to rest. Because keeping him fresh is a big thing. Um, mm-hmm. Other lads, uh, is really good, yep. um, really good athlete and worked really hard. Um, ads as well. The thing I loved about working with Ads was... Um, he loved his football and he retained that real joy that yeah. some players kind of lose a little bit. So, you know, whenever the small side of the game, I just wanted to be more and more and more. Whereas some, it's like, you know, I'll train in again. And, and I always say to young players now, you know, in my role now with the FAs, it's always retain that love for, for training because that's what's going to make you a better player if you love what you're doing. So, um, I've tried to avoid answering... Your I don't, come the on, everyone head. Everyone wants to know it. <laughs> right,
2: who's, who's, the, who's, the, who's the worst one? I mean, if, genuinely, if there wasn't one, I can't believe there, there. There must be someone, surely. I'm trying to think. I'm trying yeah, to they, think they, of players during they, that they're, era
4: they're, that were be. You know, I, I don't want to mention for, for different reasons. And as a fitness coach, you yeah, um, get your fair share of stick. Yeah, um, and sometimes matter. you're the one that, you know, the, uh, the grumps get taken out on. used to get a lot of banner off Danny Butfield. Yeah. Uh, yeah he was a funny guy. Yeah. Uh, but uh, usually at my expense... Um, <laughs> The one that kind of springs to mind, I'll tell you, I'll give you one name right. that people maybe might not be too surprised at, that I had to kind of cajole into the gym. But when he got in there, he worked really hard. It was, uh, was Gully. Yeah?
2: I'll
4: give you yeah. that. I'll give you that name. Gully yeah. the Prado. Yeah. yeah.
2: He was probably a bit too cool for the
4: gym. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, Brilliant.
4: Far too cool. Yeah, i yeah. bit Brazilian flair. Didn't want to go in the gym too much. But yeah, no, he's a
2: good lad. Smashing. Well, it's been uh, lovely having you on, Nick. Really appreciate the time. I know everyone will listen and uh, I'm sure be really interested in uh, the information you've gone through. You can follow Nick if you want to. He's on uh, Twitter at HarvoP47. And uh, yeah, just um, wish you all the best for the future, Nick. And uh, thanks for everything you've done for, for Saints over the years. And obviously, good luck with the ongoing work with the FA.
4: No, thanks Dennis. It was always a privilege to work at the club. Last time I saw it and you know still a Saints fan, so uh, always nice to talk about the Saints. Total Saints Podcast Total Saints
2: Podcast
1: with Ben Stanfield, Adam Leach Steve Grant, sponsored by HappyHotTubs.co.uk.
2: Thanks again to Nick for joining TSP. It was great, as it always is, to reminisce about some happier times at St Mary's than maybe we have at the moment. Adam, I, I want to focus most of our attention on Palace next weekend, as I guess that's the uh, the bread and butter, of the Premier League. But before that, um, we travel down to Brighton's Amex Stadium in the Carabao Cup for what looks a a pretty tough game. Um, in light of the poor Premier League start, a good fixture to have in the cup, or a bit of an unwanted distraction?
1: Yeah, I guess probably more of an unwanted distraction in a way. The positive from, from the Saints' point of view is is that they will obviously make a whole raft of changes and it will give um, some fitness and game time to, to some of those that haven't played. And Saints, uh, like most Premier League clubs nowadays, when, when you think back about when managers used to make wholesale changes for the League Cup, that used to be, quote, bringing in the youngsters, as whereas now the, the squads are so big it's bringing in the international players who aren't quite playing every week. Yeah. yeah, The Saints' second eleven effectively is going to be a very senior squad, chocked full of international experience. Um, and you know, Brighton presumably will will do something very similar. So, what you're hoping for is that there'll be. Somebody or a couple of players or something there that, that really goes well and gives you, a, you know, gives you some some food for thought for Palace. Some you know somebody comes in and just has a great performance. Perhaps even somebody you didn't expect would play really well, and suddenly you go, okay, this guy's got a bit of confidence. He's got a little bit of form. Maybe we you know we, we change tack slightly for Palace and we and we throw him in. I think that's the biggest thing to be gained from it at this stage that's the way you have to approach it now if you get three or four wins down the line in this competition then obviously it becomes a, a different beast because then obviously you're, you're playing to try and win it but for now it's playing to give people some fitness and, and kind of the result to a certain degree is, is somewhat secondary to that because it, it it will almost just be what it will be um, because you just don't know which team is going to be slightly sharp or, or slightly fitter and, and that. might ultimately just be the difference when you're playing effectively two teams of players who basically haven't played yet this season
2: yeah i did i did my research i saw that uh Brighton last season for both, uh, they beat Barnsley in the first round then lost down at Bournemouth an extra time and he uh, freshened it up uh, by pretty much playing the second string so yeah, I think we can imagine uh, Chris Hewton will do that and Steve, Saints have been a little bit unlucky it's the only all Premier League fixture in the in the entire round and of course they're away from home as well and as we know with Brighton under Chris Hewton a guy I, I really rate, I think he's a fantastic manager it's certainly not going to be easy whichever team Brighton put out No it
3: won't and one thing that Brighton have, have also done so far is that this summer they were very active in the transfer market yep. and yet most of those players haven't uh, integrated into the first eleven yet mm. so you would think that Tuesday is going to be those players opportunity to get themselves into into Brighton's team who have been such a chalk and cheese side so far this season having obviously won against Man United last week yep. um, and, and, yet, at by, and yet by all accounts they were absolutely abysmal at Watford yeah. on the opening day yep. Yep. Yeah, you just just one of those sides, you never quite know what you are going to get from them.
2: Uh, I suppose, as we just mentioned there, with Saints, I mean, Saints need to they need to win a football match somewhere. So, I guess any fixtures that come along that give them a chance to do that, you can head to Crystal Palace off the back of a win. So, it's not the end of the world if they lose, but I guess if they win, that can really really help a lot. At
3: the end of the day, it's the, the whole sort of momentum thing, isn't it? If you if you start actually winning games, then all of a sudden you are kind of looking forwards rather than sort of looking back and wondering how you've how you've managed to make a mess of things. <laughs> I mean if, if we get, if we go down there and we I mean it doesn't really matter how we win mm. to be honest sort of taking the positive angle I think we've seen enough from the three games that we've played so far that there are signs that we've got an idea of what we want to do it's just sustaining that and the defensive concentration for for an entire game yeah that's an issue regardless of what competition you're playing in uh what opposition you're playing against whether you're putting out your first team or, or your second string, those are things that have got to be overcome either way. Yeah. And if we can just get over that hurdle for the first time this season, then maybe we look forward and think, OK, right, now we've got that sort of monkey off our backs, we can go into Selhurst and actually put in a good performance and and not panicking too much about what they're going to do to us at the other end
2: yeah absolutely and the good news for you ads, as well is i'm sure you're well aware there's no extra time in the caribou cup this year so uh, even if
1: it was out to draw at least you've only got a penalty shootout to battle through anyway and i'll tell you what with with midweek deadlines you can't believe how good news that is <laughs> i mean you do, <laughs> Honestly, you it's you do sound delighted <laughs> I, I just i could do without a tuesday night away <laughs> game basically yeah. i'm grumpy about it already <laughs> The only good news is that I've noticed that the U.S. Open schedule means that when I get back, Roger Federer will be playing because uh, it will be uh, the night session in, in New York. So I guess that's one small consolation.
2: Every, every cloud, absolutely. And, and just just finally on the Brighton game, then it's uh, one of the uh, – I think it's four fixtures that are going to trial uh, VAR again. So uh, I, I, I've i always been sort of more glass half full with VAR, but what what's your views on it just uh, briefly?
1: It's a slightly difficult one. I, I think I was all for it, and then since I've seen it in action – I've got slightly less convinced by it. I'm, I'm glad they're still trialing it. And I'm hoping that they, they'll come up with a system that's just, that, that works well enough, you know, if they tinker around with it enough, if that makes sense. Because yeah. I don't think they've quite got it to a point where it really feels workable. And it, it, I, there are times that I, I love it for the, the black and white decisions. You know, mm-hmm. is it over the line? Isn't it? Is it offside? Isn't it? Th- those are just things that are fact, but in the matters of opinion, it still seems to me at times quite cloudy and quite hazy. And uh, ultimately, if you're if all you're going to do is you're still going to be relying on you know what is going to be very much just somebody's interpretation or opinion. If it's not a clear error, then I kind of almost prefer the controversy of the referee. Mm. Um, but maybe that makes me a bit of a traditionist. But, but the funny thing was, that wasn't how I felt until I've seen it in action. Yeah uh so I'm, I'm hoping that maybe the, the trialing of it will just come up with a system and a way of working it that's less disruptive to the game and brings accurate decisions as
2: steve mentioned after that we move on to play um, brighton's rivals crystal palace in the premier league up at salhurst park next weekend it was actually our fifth game of the season last year and weirdly it's the fourth game of the season this year but uh, as many will remember we did win one uh, no up there last season thanks to uh, Stephen davis um I guess with only one point on the board, as we've mentioned, Steve, it's important that Saints come away with uh, at least something from there.
3: Yeah, definitely. Palace are another side who have been proper sort of hit and miss so far this season. Mm. Um, I watched their watched their game at Watford earlier, and in the second half they were absolutely dreadful. Yeah. Zaha had got himself, as he quite often does, he get he gets himself distracted by, I mean, basically people kicking the crap out of him. <laughs> but as soon as he reacts, he's out of the game. Mm. And he is not focused and he's not on it. And you kind of need someone just to go and boot him up the arse in the first couple of minutes. Um, just so he's distracted and therefore you can, you can kind of negate his threat a little bit. Mm. But yeah, certainly we need to getting something from Palace. So even if if it's only a draw, it's a result and it's away from home as well, where our results haven't really matched the performances. I don't think Mm. in our defense, but it's one, it's one of those grounds where, We've generally had a pretty decent record, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: Um, but when it goes wrong, it tends to go very badly wrong.
2: Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? As you say, we've we've not done too bad there over the years. But the one thing that's sticking in my mind is that Fraser forced a back pass. So Steve mentioned Zaha there. Ads, is he the uh, the main threat for you, or do you think there's anyone
1: else who we'd be keeping our eye on? You know, sort of Zaha, Townsend type, you know, axis is going to cause the, the. Well, their aim is to cause a bit of problem. They're obviously both quite lively, and and Zaha's got some pace and some ability. And also, uh, Benteke. Now, but the problem with Benteke from Saints' point of view, um, we've seen in the first two games, because I can tell you one thing for certain, if he plays, he will be making a beeline for uh, trying to get uh, round the back and on Cedric for balls into the box. I mean, obviously, Saints will want Vestergaard to be looking after him. It does make me kind of wonder if they think that they'll go with Benteke, if Saints may change to three at the back to mm. try and negate that worry but obviously as we've seen Cedric beaten um in the air at the far post by and Everton and everyone in the Premier League well I mean he's not a big player is he and he's (laughs) he also sort of has a slight slight tendency to kind of have the blinkers on when he gets into that situation as well Mm. uh both of those things make it difficult I mean the thing about Cedric is he's obviously rated very highly um because of the attacking ability he brings to a team but but defensively you really need him to be playing in a very good defense because that's where the question marks are and obviously his uh, lack of height is um is a substantial issue that teams are really uh, I think ever more starting to try and target and obviously mm. the, the the pretty awful defensive header, which wasn't anything to do with the lack of height against Leicester. It was just an awful defensive header. Mm. Um, didn't exactly inspire much more confidence. So I wonder if Saints will think of three at the back because obviously the the, the height of uh, and physical presence of Benteke could cause them some issues uh, unless is going to literally track him the whole way around, in which case that's going to cause even more problems potentially. Um, so that'll be very interesting to see what they do. So I think they've got some uh, threats for Saints to worry about, but The other thing I'd say is that I feel like all of those players are pretty hit and miss with what Mm. they deliver, um, which is, with all due respect, why some of them have moved to other places and have ended up at Crystal Palace, um, because they're obviously not consistently able to produce, and so therefore they've got threats there's nothing I think that needs to give anybody a saying to sleepless night
2: yeah no I think that's a good point about three at the back it'll be interesting to see what he does I think I saw Cedric Suarez called the Portuguese Scott Hiley earlier today but I thought that was a bit harsh on Scott Hiley I don't ever remember him being that bad
3: well, Scott Hiley was also vertically challenged, wasn't he? Well, so yeah, um, yeah. I guess that's probably just where the link comes from. But, I mean, Hiley, he only played a handful of games before we yeah. farmed, farmed him off down the road, didn't we? Yeah, we so, did.
2: Yeah. We did. Maybe, maybe the. Uh, I guess that's maybe one up from the Portuguese Lee Todd, anyway. But uh, there we go. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, we mentioned at the start of the pod, Steve, that Hughes doesn't seem to know his best 11. I guess we're hoping that three or four players down at Brighton have a worldie and he sort of has to think about them for Saturday. But I, I assume, as Adam mentioned there, three at the back, whatever happens, we're expecting to see a. Uh, you know, totally different lineup again to um, what we had against Leicester? Uh,
3: yeah, I would expect so. I think we'll probably go with a sort of vaguely 4-5-1-ish formation and try, and try and pack the midfield. Hmm. I think Palace are very underrated through the centre of midfield. Yeah, I think uh, James McArthur and the Serbian guy whose name I'm not even, not <laughs> even going to remotely try and pronounce.
2: <laughs> right, he's in my um, fantasy team. Right, I'm going to go for yeah. it. Milivjevic. Yeah, that'll do. He's the, cap, the Crystal um, Palace captain, Steve means anyway. Yeah, him.
3: Yeah. Him. Those two are both um very good on the ball. They tend to break from deep, and if we if we don't have the right cover in the centre of midfield, then they will basically break between the lines. Then that then gives them free run with Townsend, Zahari, the side and Ben Take running through the middle, and they're just streaming forward at us. And that thought is probably gonna be giving Mark Hughes sleepless nights between now and Saturday, I would imagine. No. I kind of see where Adam's coming from in terms of going three at the back. We know that um, Palace are going to play with one central striker. So therefore, having three centre-backs probably seems like overkill. Mm. And I think we, we then leave ourselves short elsewhere on the pitch. Yeah. So I think it'll be a 4-5-1, a 4-2-3-1-ish type setup. Slightly more defensive than, than we saw yesterday against Leicester.
2: Yeah, no, that's much better than my uh, 5-2-4 I had us playing against um, Burnley, which obviously then meant that you didn't have a goalkeeper. But uh, there we go. Um, Miller-Vehejovic, there you are, I think I've got it. Um, Ads, I guess the good thing, just finally before we do our predictions, is that uh, the Tom Daly of uh, Denmark, Pierre-Emil um the Brighton game I think will count as his suspension, so he should be available for Palace, right? Yeah, that's that's how I understand it,
1: yeah. Good, yep.
2: good, excellent, alright. Well, uh, none of us got our predictions right this week, as you well know. Adam and Steve had Saints to win, I had a draw, so nil pois across the board. It's still Adam 3, me 2, Steve 1, so it's quite you know quite exciting times, actually, in that prediction. Ted Rogers. Exactly, exactly. Um, right, I'm going to go first this week, because I don't want to be accused of bias by always going last, and half the time you guys pick the best scores anyway, so I am going for Palace to win 2-0, Adam. On to you.
1: Well, that wasn't a surprise, was it? <laughs> I am going to... I was positive last week, and obviously that that backfired. But maybe I'll stick with it one more week, and I'll, I'll go for Saints to get on the board with a narrow two-one win.
2: Narrow two-one win, good. All right, excellent. Okay, I'm I'm imagining Steve. You're probably not going to top that.
3: Well, I'm kind of going for something a little bit left field. I'm going for organised chaos, but um, ultimately nothing happening, and it's going to be nil-nil. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: great. Okay, well that'll be a good one to write about. Ads, so uh, excellent. Well somebody's going to get at least a point. Yeah, that's good actually, isn't it? So that's good, that's nice. That's what we need a bit of variety. Otherwise everyone's just going to switch off and not bother listening. Thanks, as always, for listening to Total Saints Podcast. My appreciation to Adam, Steve, and especially Nick Harvey for joining us this week. Don't forget you can follow and engage with us on Facebook, Twitter, and email. It's totalsaintspodcast at yahoo.com. It's been a fairly bleak start to the 2018-19 season for Saints, and it's a tough week ahead with Brighton and Crystal Palace away. I'm showing my age, but as D-Ream once said, things can only get better. At least let's hope they can. See you soon. Keep marching in. <laughs>